Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, it's T with Abduction Enigma Podcast. So what I've got for you guys this week is some more faded disc stuff slash UFO history stuff. So this first clip is a short lecture by Herbert Sherman of his abduction that took place in 1967. I think you guys will enjoy this one. Let's get it. I guess I should tell you a little bit about myself before I get into the experience that I had. I was born in Missouri, and I was brought up uh, as a service brat. Uh, My father was a career man in the Air Force. I... uh, Went to school in Japan, Germany, France, and Hawaii. I jumped around quite a bit, so I didn't get much of an education when I was young. But I did finish it all later. When I was 17 years old, I went into the military service, United States Navy. And my first duty station was in Jacksonville, Florida. And then from there, I went over to the Far West Command, and I helped serve our flag and fight for it in Vietnam, even though I felt it was an immoral act of a war. Then, coming out of the service, I went back to Missouri and spent a couple of months there, and I went home to Nebraska, where my folks were. And I wasn't making very much money being out of the service, you know. Two dollars an hour being a clerk wasn't my bag, really. So I wanted uh, newer fuels, so I I always wanted to be in law enforcement, so I talked to my father about going into law enforcement, and uh, he decided that uh, the uh, state patrol in Nebraska would be a good idea. So we filled out the forms and everything, and I had to go to the Ashton, Nebraska, to the police department to get a police check. So I walked in, and five minutes later, I was a policeman. They hired me there. My life before this happened as a, as a police officer, the, the short time I was, was a good one. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working with the public and serving the community and serving the laws of the state. Now I guess I'll get on with the story. Uh, it was long 2.30, actually, I think, was the time that this happened. But right around 2.20, uh, I was just checking two gas stations. I left the two gas stations. Uh, excuse me. I, I left the last gas station that I checked to pull onto the highway. And I was making radio contact with the Wahoo Sheriff's Office because we didn't have radio communications available in the city at nighttime because uh, we couldn't afford it. So I told them that everything was all secure. I pulled onto the highway and putting the mic down, I seen some flashing lights in front of me. First appeared to me to be a truck, I thought, as I got closer and put the high beams of the lights in the patrol car on this this objects started raising, these lights started raising up in the air to about 40 feet. I, I, I think I was something like 50 yards from this. These lights were flashing and they got, as they got bigger as I got close to it, it seemed like they were red flashing lights coming out of a porthole, which sort of circled the, the uh, craft. It had uh, like a catwalk going around the center of it. It was shaped like a football very metallic, like a very shiny bumper, if you polished a bumper on a car. had sort of a reddish, orangish glow coming from beneath it. And then there was this white flash that came on to me in the patrol car. It felt as if we were being pulled. And then it was being pulled. You know, we were being pulled up the side of this bank to the left of the road and up toward this field, the car and I. I, I felt nothing. I, 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 at first I felt kind of stunned and shocked, and then I felt sort of tingly. And as the car and I moved up the bank to the top of this field, this object landed, and some legs came out, and it sat down. 
I was just sitting there really motionless. I couldn't move. I may have even had my mouth open. I don't remember, you know, being probably scared. This hatch came open, and this light came out of the hatch, and this form came down and looked the form of a human being. And this form started walking toward the patrol car with an object in both its hands, appeared to be hands, and he was walking straight toward the patrol car. As he was doing this, another form came out and started walking toward the patrol car also. As this being got in front of the, walked up to the front of the patrol car with this object in his hand, which looked sort of a squarish oval type, it looked like it had a lens in front of it, and the only thing I could think was, oh my God, what's going to happen now? This green light came out all over the car, and then saw the light went back in again. And I felt a sensation, and then I felt nothing, like I was just there and that was it. And this other being started walking up toward the car. I was sitting straight, looking straight. I couldn't even move my head. And he walked up to the car, and the window was about three-quarters of the way rolled down, and he had an object in his hand, a silver object that looked like a big pencil with a round ball on the end of it. And he pressed this against the side of my neck, which I felt some pain from, and said, ouch. Then he stepped back, and I sort of sat there, and he opened up the car door and just went like this. And I sort of raised up out of the patrol car, and I was looking at him, and he was looking at me, and he said, are you the watchman of this town? And my response was, yes, sir. He said, come with me, watchman. And we started moving toward the spacecraft, and it felt like I was walking on air. We got up to the hatch to where you went inside of the spacecraft, and we just sort of like floated up into the first level. And he says to me, watchman, come with me, and we were in a circular room. And there were a lot of cylinders about four and a half feet high and about two feet wide that circled the whole room. And it had sort of like a cable running through it, two cables running through these. They looked like tall batteries to me. And then in the center of this room was a huge cocoon or, you know, like this shaped object was spinning and it was giving off colors like the rainbow and was about 20 feet long. And it seemed like these cables were coming up and connecting to these two block things that came down on each end of it. And we walked the complete circle in there, and I said, uh, what is this? And he said, this is how our craft operates. And he said it operates on electrical reversible magnetism. And then I looked at him, and he said, come with me, watchman. And we walked back over to where I came up in with him, and this glass sheet came down. And we stepped onto this, which I felt. And we moved up into the second level of the craft. And lo and behold, I've never seen anything like it before in my life, with so many different types of instrument panels and computer-type things that you just wouldn't believe it. This cone thing was right in the center of the floor. You can see half of it from on top and half of it from the bottom. But it gave off a red glow that, that sort of not flashed, but kind of died down and then came back up again. And he says, Watchman, come with me. And we walked over to a screen that was up on the side, I say, wall. It was sort of like a TV screen. And he pressed some buttons and I guess flipped some switches. I wasn't paying too much attention to him. I was looking at the screen. And some stars in the sky appeared on there. And he put his finger up like this and he said, uh, this is where we're from, Watchman. And then he put his hand back down. He didn't say where, and he didn't say the name. He just pointed. The purpose that we're here is to get electricity. And there was another being standing a little distance away, and the man turned to him, and they both looked at each other, and he started depressing buttons. And he says, watch, watchman. And there was this antenna on the outside of the spacecraft which angled toward a power unit and this bolt went out, a color I've never seen before in my life, and I don't even think I could describe it. 
went out and came back. And this stayed like this for about three minutes, and then it went off. And he turned and looked at me, and I felt as I was getting a, a, a very, very, uh, an awful lot of roll of input of words that I couldn't understand. And he reached up and he, he, he touched me on the shoulder, and he felt real when he touched me. And I think at that time I did touch him, and he felt real to me. And he says, Watchman, come with me. We walked back over to the exit, I'll say, where we came up, and the glass sheet came down again, and we went up into the third part of the craft, which was the observation deck, he said. And as we stepped off, he said, Watchman, come with me. And we walked over, and we were standing there looking out of a big plate glass window type thing, and there, were a, there was a control panel right in front of it, and there were two chairs that looked like dentist chairs. You know, I've been to the dentist, dentist chair, but really a superstructure of a chair, better, better than a dentist chair. Uh, we looked out the uh, window, and I could see this one being walking back and forth by where my patrol car was. And I think I said, wow. And he put his, he didn't, no, he didn't. He, he turned to me, and he said something I, I, I don't understand. And he said some more things that I, I, I didn't understand or, or couldn't make out. And I still don't. And then he pointed his hand toward the plate glass window, I, as I say, refer to, to the stars out there. And he says to me, Watchman, one day you yourself will see the universe as I have. And he reached up and he touched me on the shoulder like this, you know, like grabbing you on the shoulder, like a man does, uh, to steer you away. And he says, come with me, watchman. And then he stopped, and he said, watchman. And I turned around like this to look at him, and it felt I was, like I was getting more input of something that I couldn't understand. Then he says, watchman, come with me. We walked over, and we went down all the way out of the craft. As we got outside, this other being started walking back toward the spacecraft and boarded it as we were walking toward my patrol car. And we stopped right by the patrol car, and I turned to look at him, and he was looking at me. And then again, it felt like I was receiving an input of words of some kind that I couldn't understand. And he turned, no, he sort of lifted his hand, and then he turned and walked back to the spacecraft, floated up inside, this catwalk thing started spinning. The lights started flashing off and on. This red orangish glow came out from beneath it. It started lifting up in the air, and I guess it got about 100 feet high and just shot straight out of sight. Let me tell you, I was scared. I started feeling me again. When I was aboard the spacecraft, I had hardly no feeling at all. My body was tingling. I was perspiring. I was hot. I felt nauseated. I got back into the patrol car. I turned it around, and I headed back for the police station. On the way to the police station, at a high rate of speed, <laughs> I tried to make communication with Wahoo Sheriff's Office, and it appeared the radio was dead. I got to the station. I jumped out of the car in a fast walk, walked into the police station. And I noticed that the wall clock in the police station said one minute after 3 a.m. Well, I went directly to the bathroom. <laughs> I'd go to the bathroom but to drink water because I was hot. And I walked back into the main room of the police station. We had a real small police station. It was about 20 by 20. And uh, I sat there at the table, and I lit a cigarette, and I said, Wow, what the hell happened? Something happened to me. Did I really see a flying saucer? Did this really happen to me? I looked at my report log, and I remembered through all the training and everything I went through that regardless of the nature or what it was, put it in your report book because you just might need it. So I looked at my report book, and I got my pen out, and I wrote, at 2.30 a.m. December 3rd, 1967, I saw a UFO at, the, at Junction 6 and 63, believe it or not. About 6.30 that morning, 
a fellow officer came in, and I explained to him what happened to me. And uh, the fellow officer says, uh, I believe you heard. One time I was on my way to Wahoo, Nebraska, and I was driving down the road. I looked over. Lo and behold, there were two UFOs sitting in the field, and these little green men were out there walking around it, waving at me. I said, sure, Paul. And uh, he says, I don't think you should tell anybody, Herb, because I don't think anybody's going to believe you. Matter of fact, you're going to lose your job if you tell the people. But I said, Paul, it's the truth. He said, well, you know, he said a lot of people won't even accept the truth. I said, well, I'll wait for the chief. He says, no, I'll go on home. So I went home, and I was, you know, I really felt like everything was drained completely out of my body, and I laid down on the couch. And as I laid there, I started getting a buzzing feeling in my head. And it felt like I was being... I had pressure on my body. I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't, you know how you try to open up your mouth and you can't say help? <laughs> I was trying to say help, <laughs> you know. And then I went off to sleep and the phone rang and it was the chief. And the chief says, get your butt down to the station right now. What is this? You mean you've seen a UFO? I said, I don't feel good. I'm sick and I'm not coming down to the police station. He said, I'll be right over. So the next thing, the TV came in, press came in, you know, newspapers, radio stations, and telephone calls started coming in. Two days later, the ridicule started coming in. Believe me. And I had a man run three blocks, huffing and puffing. He owned the Goodyear Tire Shop there in Ashton, Nebraska, and he let me, Herb, if you ever see another flying saucer and it lands, you tell him I want to sell him a set of tires. Uh, the phone ring, this is the planet Mars, you know. I mean, really ridiculous stuff. I think, though, being here in Florida, one of the, the neatest walkings I got was right out here in the lobby. The gentleman out there selling books. And I walked up, and he says, Herb Sherman? I said, yes. My name is so-and-so, and I was taken aboard a police cruiser. <laughs> I thought that was neat. The United States Air Force Conan Committee, Blue Book Project, or however you want to say it, investigating team, team came down to Ashland, Nebraska to investigate me. Uh, a gentleman by the name of John Aarons, who is a friend of mine, and a gentleman by the name of Roy Craig, who was a physicist. Uh, John Aarons, he probably hit me, but he was a shrink, a psychiatrist. Tim and I had long discussions, and he told me to tell my story over and over and over and over, and I told it over and over and over and over. And then they found a 25-minute time lapse in my log. And John says, Herb, uh, what happened to you between 2.30 a.m., December 3rd, 1967, and 3 a.m., or a little before 3 a.m.? And I looked at him, and I couldn't say anything because I didn't remember. So he says, you got to come to Boulder. I said, okay. So they took me up to Boulder, and I met a UFO team there of a lot of people who run a lot of tests on me, and a hypnotist by the name of Dr. Leo Sprinkler administered time regression hypnosis on me, which found out a small detail that I had been aboard the uh, spacecraft and that I had actually communicated with them. They played the tape back to me, and it shocked me. I didn't know what to think. I said, are you, is that really my voice on that tape? You bet it is, boy. I says, my God, what do I do now? While I was up in Boulder, the city got real cute, you know, the city fathers and people in the city. Uh, the day I left, they, uh, matter of fact, the night I left, uh, they went down to our beautiful cemetery there in Ashton, Nebraska, and took this dummy and hung it by the neck in a tree and put a big star on it shot a hose through it and painted the hose with red like blood and put Herb across the star with a cowboy head on it. And they really made it look big because they went down to the mortuary and they got the amulets out, a code three run, sour rings, red lights, the whole works. Went over there and they very carefully took it down and put it on a stretcher and covered it up and took it back to the morgue. I, uh, they thought they scared me, but they didn't. You see, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to scare me, but they didn't scare me because I thought it was kind of funny, and I laughed about it when I read it in the paper and seen all the pictures and everything. 
But while I was in Boulder, they blew my car up with dynamite, and that really made me mad. I just got through paying for it, and I was furious. You know, I could have done like uh, George C. Scott did in that movie Rage. You know, that's how mad I was. But through the whole crisis, I had one very good friend in Ashton, Nebraska. His name was Leroy Dimmitt, very close friend. And he helped me a lot in Ashland. He was one of our relief officers in the police department. And I, I'm, I, really, I was really proud to have him as a friend as way he stuck by. And my family, I really can't say. Uh, I went to my father and I said, Dad, I said, uh, I know you have 20-something years in the Air Force, but I asked my father point blank, I said, Dad, what do you think of UFOs? My father never said no. And he never said yes. He just said, son, if you're telling the truth, stick with it. And so I stuck with it. I thank you very much. So one thing I noticed is that Canada has a lot of UFO sightings and experiences. Now, Robert Gribble, I find his work fascinating. I had never heard of him until I stumbled upon the faded disc tapes. And there is a whole section of just hotline calls that I keep throwing in some of these. This one in particular is three people reporting the same UFO. I've even talked to a couple people from Canada that have such experiences and I just thought it'd be interesting to note. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can I tell you the whole story? Because that's the only way I can tell it. Sure. Okay. I was sleeping, and I heard a bang. I have three kids, right? So I thought it was one of my kids getting up, and, and I keep the bathroom light on for them. And it was flickering off and on, like, and then it would dim. And uh, I thought it was my son, so I got up and checked and turned my bedroom light on, and then my bedroom light started going off. So I looked out the window, and I live up on a hill, and all the there's houses, um, down below me, eh? And they were all flicking because I thought maybe it was a breaker. So as I was looking out the window, I seen light, and it was like lightning. And I, like, it's pretty cold now. I didn't think it was lightning or anything. Or I thought maybe there was an accident in back of me somewhere, but I li there's bush in back of me. <laughs> Do you understand me? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Then, so I tried dialing the phone. The phone was dead. So I kept looking out the window. I'm afraid of storms, eh? <laughs> And uh, I looked out, and I thought maybe it was my light. Maybe I had my out, outside light on. And then it moved over to above these houses that are down below me. And it was like a light, um, kind of like how lightning looks when it's in the clouds, right? Okay. And it flashed. And I, I thought, I didn't hear no thunder or anything. And as it was flashing, so were the lights in all the neighborhood. And then what got me is there was... Um, these Christmas lights on a house, and they stayed on the whole time, and then all of a sudden it started flashing red. And it wasn't the whole sky, it was just one area. Okay. Um, I don't know how big it would have been, but it was just above those houses, eh? <laughs> okay, now how far away would that be from you, approximately? Oh, well, these houses are about a block away, not even a block away. Okay. It takes about two seconds to get there if I walk. But all you could see was a light form moving. Yes, because okay. was, there was clouds. Okay. But it wasn't the whole sky. It was just one area. And it, uh, the lights were flicking with the... The lights of all the houses and all the street lights were flicking with the, the light of this, whatever it was. Now, was the object uh, flashing off and on or pulsating? Pulsating. Okay. Yes. If it stopped, like, it, it did it longer and, and shorter, like, and, and the shorter the flashes were, the, the lights just dimmed. But if it, 
If it was a long flash and then it stopped, then the lights went out. Okay. Let me ask how big that uh, light was. I was just trying to think. Um, oh, no, it's a clear sky. Unbelievable. Um, I'm trying to think. Maybe uh, 100 feet wide. Okay. I, it's hard for me to estimate, but because it was up in the air. I don't know how far away it was or... And uh, how about the color? Well, it was a light, um, very pale blue at first, and then it went red. And it wasn't... Um, what color of red? You know how the sunset in the sky gets kind of pinkish? Right. Okay, it was more red than that. Okay. But it wasn't a red, 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 red. Okay. And I called the OPP here, and they just kind of... They wouldn't really say, well, we're going to investigate because they had got other phone calls, too. So what time did that occur? So, I, uh, I wasn't sure, but it was around quarter to 12. Right. Our time. Right. Okay, and uh, how long did you watch it? Well, the whole time that, well, uh, it only lasted about phew, three to five minutes, but the phone also went dead. And um, the only lights that I saw stay on were these Christmas lights. I know that sounds freaky, but there was Christmas lights on one of the houses down there, and they stayed on the whole time. Like, what is the name of the place that I'm talking to? Oh, this is the National UFO Reporting Center. Oh. And where did you get our number? Um, we, actually, we got it from Florida, from the Air Force Base in Florida. Oh, dear. How'd you happen to call way down there? Um, well, I remember seeing on, uh, Unsolved Mysteries, I think it was, oh, yeah. about UFO sightings. Uh -huh. And I thought they said Texas, so we phoned Texas, and they said, well, why don't you phone uh, the police station in Texas, so we phoned Florida. Oh, okay. And then they gave us this eight one, this other number in, in, in Florida, the Air Force Base, and then they gave us your number. Oh, very good. Okay, well, we sure appreciate you reporting that, and if we get uh, follow-up information on this, we'll let you know about it. Well, yeah. Oh, I would love that, because I was really freaked out by it. <clears throat> okay, thanks a lot. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. UFO Reporting Center? Yes, uh, good morning. Um, I guess you've been getting some calls from Kenora, Ontario today. From where? Kenora, Ontario? No, we've only had one. Is that right? That was early this morning. Okay. So, well, apparently there was some kind of a strange going on here last night. Maybe you'd be interested to hear what I had to say? Sure. You bet. Uh, we went to bed around 11, uh-huh, and uh, the, the phones kept ringing. Like there was nobody on the phone, but you know sometimes how lightning would hit the wires and they they ring. Right. Well, it, it kept doing this quite quite a few times, and then we noticed some lights outside. We couldn't actually see them, but they're like reflecting off the sky, uh-huh, off the clouds. So we went out. Uh, I went outside to make sure there was no electrical cables arcing or anything, and. Uh, I went, this, I was just on the sun deck looking at the cables, and then I went back inside and it was still doing it. So I went right outside, this time in the driveway, and I could see this very bright red light, and then it would change to a kind of a blue light, in this, uh, reflecting off the clouds. Yes. And uh, I could also hear this very loud buzzing noise, like when two high tension cables were touching, right. how they buzz. And uh, the, the phones continued to keep ringing. And so far, there's been no explanation in Kenora what it was. Now, uh, was that light that you saw moving or stationary? No, I, I didn't see actually see the lights. All I saw was reflection off the, of the clouds. Oh, okay. Light, bright light would shine off into the clouds and reflect. Okay. But was that stationary? Did it hold one position? It was stationary. Okay. And all of a sudden, it just quit. Okay. And then the phone went back to normal? Yeah, and they were right back to normal. Now the people reported lights were in the houses were going bright and dull, bright and dull. Okay, how long did this uh, go on? Must be about 10 or 15 minutes that I noticed it for. Okay, and was anyone with you at the time? Just my wife. Okay, she saw and heard all this too? Yeah. Okay. But I, and I figured there was just something wrong with Hydro, eh? And, and I tried to phone Hydro last night, but the lines were busy. And this morning, I'm hearing all kinds of reports that people have seen this, but they, there was no, no explanation for it. And apparently, it's been on the news 
and on the you know, local radio and that, and nobody knows what it was. Okay. Well, we sure appreciate the information, and if we get any follow-up relating to this, we'll let you know about it. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling. You bet. Bye-bye. UFO Reporting Center? Hi. I'm calling from Kenora, Ontario. Yes. In Canada. I don't know if you've had any other calls today. I understand you may have. Yes, we've had two. We had two. Well, I'd just like to report sort of what happened to me at the time that this sighting was going on. I didn't actually see um, a spherical body or anything. I saw a reflection of lights in the sky that were kind of a reddish-orange color. Yes. And it was more of what happened in my house during this time that uh, the things that woke me up and went on. Um, it started off with my telephone ringing in my living room only. I also have a telephone right beside my bed and it was not ringing. And what woke me up was just two short rings of the telephone. And I sort of was drifting in and out of sleep not figuring out what was waking me up. And it happened again. And I wasn't quick enough to catch the phone. And then it happened again. The rings, there were just always two short rings and they were getting progressively closer together. And I tried to pick it up, and when I did, I also have an answering machine. Yes. And it kicked in uh, right away, like sooner than it's programmed to. And I've got what happened on tape. It was just a, um, a buzzing noise in the background, like nothing uh, nothing major, but like an electrical noise. And uh, I hung up the phone, and when I hung up, it started. It just kept right on ringing as if I hadn't picked it up. And finally, when that all, it rang about eight times altogether, the last time that this happened. And I finally, I thought maybe somebody hit a pole outside on the highway, and um, maybe that's what's causing the phones to go berserk. So I opened up the blinds, and that's when I looked outside for a minute. That's when I noticed the reflection. Kind of, I thought it was coming from behind my house, and it was kind of a reddish orange glow. And I thought, oh, there must be an accident on the highway. And then I realized that the light wasn't coming from the highway. And then it almost, by the time that was over, um, my husband finally, when I said there's a, a light flashing outside, and we didn't know what it was, and he finally got up and looked. And we had both our bedroom windows open. And uh, that's when we, it was a very, it was really windy here last night. And we heard what we thought was wind, but it was so loud that we thought maybe there was a piece of heavy equipment. We live right beside um, the Trans-Canada Highway, so we thought maybe they were moving some heavy equipment, and I don't know why they'd be doing that late at night. But it was really loud, and that's what my husband thought was, was really strange, more than the red light or anything. And then it was after that, as we settled down to go to sleep, within about, this all happened within, well, about three, four minutes at the end. Um, we turned, I had the bedroom light on for a minute because I didn't think I'd be able to sleep, and when I turned it off, uh, I just happened to glance at the black and white television that we have in our room, and it was, to me it looked very, it was a, a very light gray on the screen, and I, I just mentioned to my husband, I said, why is the television set, and like I said, it was glowing, but it, it wasn't that strong, but when I look at it today, I've been testing it to see if maybe it was a reflection from the window, and what it was doing was not a reflection, it was like just a very light greenish or grayish glowing on the screen yes. and I just kind of <laughs> I kind of put the covers over my head and went to sleep I didn't want to look at it anymore so I'm not sure how long it lasted for but this has been just from what's been going on here all day and things that we've been hearing I finally got up the courage to call I thought I'd put in my two cents worth just okay. out of interest sake but now, I thought, what time did that occur well I remember looking at my clock now I don't remember if it was while it was occurring or before, but it was 11.30, 11.38 sticks in my mind. Okay. So it's, uh, I remember definitely looking at the clock. I can't remember if that was before everything happened or during or... Did any of your electric clocks in the house lose time or gain time? Oh, I, I haven't checked them today against other clocks. I don't know. Okay. Now on that answering machine, did you have that answering machine on? Uh, well, it did. See, what happened was, as it was ringing, I picked up the phone in the bedroom, even though it wasn't ringing, because I thought I'd, I'd, if somebody was trying to, that's what I thought, someone was trying to reach us, and they yeah. couldn't get through. And I picked it up, and my answering machine kicked in, and uh, that's, I listened to it this morning, and it's just like a buzzing noise. It just kind of goes, like an electrical short out. Uh -huh. And actually, we, we heard that noise. After we settled down to go to sleep, we could still hear that fairly loud noise. Now, whether it was the wind outside or what, I don't know. But it was really loud, and I could still hear this. I thought something was shorting out in the house, to be honest. I thought, oh, my God, the house is going to catch on fire or something. 
But it was a, it was a very strange experience. It was really exciting, but it was at the time that it was happening, I, I didn't want to really think of what it might be. But what period of time did that uh, tape cover on your machine? I mean, how long did it pick up that sound? Um, well, I listened to it. There's about three or four um, buzzing noises in a space of, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds or okay. so. And you never heard any sound outside other than... Uh, no, like nothing other than that the really... It was really strange because it was really windy out last night, but it, it was something even my husband said, and he's very skeptical, and he said that's what he thought was strange, was just the really loud noise. But if, I mean, it, might, it could have just been the wind, I don't know. Do you have pets in the house? Yes. Oh, yes, I do. And actually, that's one other thing that it kind of alerted us. I, I can't remember when. He doesn't sleep in our bedroom. He sleeps in a different part of the house. And at one point, he, he burst out of there, and he let out this one horrific bark just before kind of everything sort of started. I can't remember if it was when, just before I started to go for the phone. Because it was about a space of at least 15 minutes, I think, by the time, like, the first distant ring of my telephone Something was waking me up continuously because I kept drifting, drifting in and out of sleep, not realizing what was waking me up. So the phone, I don't know how many times that it started to ring, and it was in the living room, not in the bedroom. And why that phone in the bedroom didn't ring, I have no idea because I, I don't know if that's ever happened before, but I thought that was really strange at the time when it was happening. Uh-huh. And I don't know, it was it, for a period of about 20 minutes, I would have to figure by the time. And it was really strange the way I was thinking about it today, the way the phone was ringing. And it was like something far away was affecting it. And then when it got closer, that's when the phone just started ringing, just ringing, ringing, ringing. It uh-huh. wouldn't stop. And I was actually going to phone the phone company here and tell them, please fix this phone because it keeps waking me up. And it, actually what happened, my sister just lives up the road from us, or she was at this house up the road from us that night. And uh, when I came into work this morning, I said to her, um, gee, did you guys see that last night? And she just kind of looked at me. And she said, why would happen? I said, did your phone keep ringing last night? And exactly the same thing happened with her phone up there. Um, they were they were kind of sleeping watching TV, and that, the phone kept getting her up, and she couldn't answer it. There was nothing there, and it kept making this buzzing noise. And even when she hung it up, she said it kept ringing. So finally she unplugged the phone. So that was the only way between the two of us that we kind of thought, um, I don't know if anybody else in the area had problems with their phones or if, if it woke them up at all. but. Uh-huh. Just between, you thought that was really strange that it would affect two houses within the same. But all you saw outside was a couple of lights. I didn't even see where a light. I saw the glow kind of in glow. the sky as if it was coming from behind and the house was blocking it because I couldn't really see where it was coming from. Okay. And she said the same thing. She could see the red glow. She actually went outside to check on her dog because of the wind. And... Uh, she said she could see the one, it out of the one window, but not out of a different window in the house. So it was it was really strange. Okay, how long did all of this go on? Well, like I'm saying, I think from the time the phone started to wake me up, it had to have been a good 15, 20 minutes okay. at least. I think, anyways, I, I wasn't really paying attention. I just thought it was really... I was really excited. I guess so. <laughs> to say the least. And my husband was angry. He says, oh, they didn't take us with them. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me what other people reported? Was it basically the same as that? Or? Uh, basically the same, yes. Is that uh, right? The ringing of telephones. And wow. We just think this is so neat. We've just had goosebumps all day long here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we sure appreciate you reporting that. Well, I hope we've done something. I don't know what, but I thought out of interest. Uh, if we to... get any more information on this, we'll get back to you. All right. And who am I speaking to? I'm Robert. Hi. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks again. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. Do you want to give your full name? My name is Robert Marshall Sadler. Go back to the time this started. Uh, how close can you fix the date and the location of the incident? The location of the incident was at Otis Air Force Base in Massachusetts, and I fixed the approximate date sometime in the summer of 1964. Can you be any more precise on the date? What part of the summer? I have a feeling that it was in the late summer, probably late August or early September, as it was kind of cold at the time. Okay, and it's on day. The time of day would have been late in the evening. It was probably around 10 o'clock. It was dark? It was dark, yes, very okay. dark. Now, you say uh, 
Otis Air Force Base. Was it actually on base property? Yes, it was on base property in a housing residential area. Can you locate that uh, relative to any uh, major part of the base that uh, would be recognizable? Right. The, the entrance of the base, there was a gate and about a two-mile drive, and you approach the housing area first before you reach the actual actual base, and it was a right-hand turn off this major road that led into the base. Back at the time, we lived on what was then known as Fairchild Avenue. The name has changed. I'm not sure anymore. When this happened, how close were you to the housing and to your house in particular? Uh, in fact, this happened almost in my backyard. It was probably around 60 feet from where I lived. Uh, an open area? We had a, a sort of a strange yard. It had a flat section and a small rising hill, and at the very top of the hill, it met the forest. This is a very foresty sort of area at the base. It was surrounded by a park reserve almost. In fact, at one time, there had been an army base used for training before the war, before it had been converted to an Air Force base. So, yes, we're just very close, right at the edge of the forest. Okay, now, do you want to start describing the experience from the point where you uh, entered the forest? Okay. And uh, why, uh, and anything you can think of? Well, being a, a young kid, I think we were just out for a stroll. I was with a friend. His uh, first name was David. His last name I'm unable to recall for some reason, but uh, he was approximately two, three years older than I was, I being around 12, 13, somewhere between there at the time, Dave being approximately 15. And uh, we had gone out for a walk, and we're heading, we went out my front door, around the side of my house, across my backyard, and up this small rising hill to the edge of the forest, in which there were trails and paths that led into the forest from there. And we're merely walking across the top of the hill when we noticed a flashing light, a flash of white light. You were not yet in the woods? No, we were not as yet in the woods, on, on the very edge, uh, and still within sight of my home, easily within sight of my home. Thinking that it was someone with a flashlight, we dropped back. In fact, David went back down the hill into my yard, and it was my idea that we should stay to see who it was, and I remained on top of the hill. Why do you think he dropped back? Uh, it was sort of, I don't know, being late at night, I guess it was that instant sort of scare that one feels at that age, and... Uh, Dave thought that we should go back farther than we actually did, or than I actually did, and he ran down the hill at the time. In fact, it was a fairly steep hill, so he just sort of ran down the hill, and I remained behind. And no sooner had I said, let's wait to see who it was, than uh, in turning around, there was a, a flash of light in which I, I blinked. And in and opening my eyes, I found myself in the presence of a glowing, humanoid-shaped being. Were you in the, the woods at this point? No, this was again at the very, very edge. In fact, uh, still within sight of my home, right in, almost in the backyard, approximately. Okay, now, uh, first you want to describe this glowing being. Okay, uh, as well as I can. Uh, at that time, I was rather tall for my age, so I set the being's approximate height at around six feet. It seemed it was a little bit taller than myself. Um, I don't know how to describe it any other than it was a humanoid shape, very humanoid, and a male in form, as far as form and musculature, it seemed like to me. Um, glowing white from head to toe. The glow vary any? The glow didn't vary to me. It seemed very uniform, uniform from, from head to toe, in fact, but it was very soft and wasn't harsh on the eyes. It was easy to look at. In fact, I think if you've um, seen the radium-coated hands on a clock or watch, it's very much like that, but a white color. How close were you? Approximately three feet. I still remember that very clear. It was very close, very close. I could have reached out and touched it, but for some reason <laughs> I didn't. Um, was it, what was it doing? It was merely standing there, and as far as I could tell, staring at it, which I was doing also, staring back at it. it the body seemed to be surrounded by uh, 
a layer of some sort which extended out from it, such as what we might term an aura, or a, a layer of what looked like a gas of some sort. But and it was you could see moving, sort of in a sense, as apart from the body, but the light coming definitely from the body and shining out through this this layer. There were, appeared to be no uh, clothes of, of any sort, and yet no hair that I could tell on the body, no uh, distinctive markings such as you might see of wrinkles on a human being or, or coloration of any kind, just this very uniform, soft, white glow coming from the body. Um, as I said, there were eyes, very distinct eyes, almond shaped, very much like ours, uh, but intense white there. That was the only difference as far as the coloration of the body were the eyes themselves which extended down to a very normal-looking face, uh, a nose, but no mouth, as far as I could tell, uh, at least lips, which distinguish our mouth mm -hmm. on the face. Ears looked very much like ours, except as far as they seemed to be uh, smoother and not as, as uh, convoluted in their, their form. Body very smooth, very smooth, and no markings on it as I reiterate. Uh, very human shaped arms, hands, legs nothing different didn't frighten me whatsoever in fact uh, on a warm summer night the uh, insects usually chirping were unusually absent there was an unusual absence of sound total almost it seemed like wrapped in a blanket there was no sound whatsoever and uh, I'm sure if you've observed the phenomenon of looking at a white light for it length of time, how darkness appears to surround the life form, which is another thing that occurred to me at the time that I was looking at it. The amount of time that took place or that spanned, I have really no idea. I'm sure that it was very short, although it seemed long to me at the time. Uh, I'm not sure what else to do. What happened? You were standing there staring at it. It was staring at you. Was it moving? Uh, it seemed to raise its arm. The one arm. The, in fact, I guess I think it would be the right one. Um, but made no real normal gesture like I would have taken it to mean something. But on the other hand, nothing that scared me. No quick jerking movements or or anything like of that nature. Uh, it made no steps towards me, and nor did it make a sound of any sort that I could tell. Uh, I felt very calm and felt no fear whatsoever of it. Uh, and then suddenly, just as easily as it had come, it disappeared. And disappeared totally, I mean, spontaneously. Nothing left, no, no fade out or gradual disappearance or something along that nature, but very, very sudden. Uh, any movement connected with the disappearance? None, none that I could tell. And it sort of remained, I guess, from staring at the lights. There was uh, a, a shape, yeah, an after image from looking at the light. Let's go back to the, to the description of it. Uh, you have a waist? Yes, very much so. It uh, had a definite V form, a very, what would, I guess, look like a young, slim boy here on Earth. Uh, well built and a very V-shaped chest coming down to a waist and uh, going down. How about feet? Uh, feet, I guess I don't really recall. Um, I know that it did have feet, but I don't remember seeing if there was a definite distinction of toes or not. I know that on its hands there were definite fingers and five, just like ours, which I noticed was very uh, assuring, I guess, to me at the time that it did have five fingers. And, uh, but not that I could tell nails or hair on the arms or anything of that nature. Very, again, smooth and the same uniform white, whiteness and glow. What was your friend doing? My friend remained and stayed right behind me. And in fact, on the moment of the disappearance, I turned around and my first words were, Dave, did you see that? And he was merely nodding and assuring me that, yes, he did. He had seen the same thing. And About how far away was it? It was, I guess, somewhere between 15 and 25, maybe, feet behind me. 
and not in an exact line is all of that meant. And so, he said he had a perfect view of everything that had gone. When it disappeared, was there anything different about the, the area at that time? Any indication that something had been going on? Nothing that I could really uh, tell you. Uh, was nothing it still that quiet? I noticed. Yes, it did. It seems to still be quiet. I don't know if that was something that remained or something that was in me that I was so concentrating on what had just happened that I didn't notice sound or not, but I don't remember any, any sounds. What did you do then after talking to your friend? Right. At that point, I had gone down the hill and we uh, proceeded to my front door and uh, going inside. Did you talk about it on the way? No, not really. It was just sort of, I said, we ought to go tell my parents. And it was very close, and so it was almost no time for any real conversation. And we got to the front door, and I merely knocked on it because I wanted my parents to come to the door. I wanted them to come outside. So uh, my mother and father, I think my mother appeared at the door first, and uh, I asked Dad to come to the door and told him. And at which point my father... Do you, have, do you recall what you told him? I, how you might have described I told him that we saw we had seen a creature and in fact I think I described it at the time as a creature and uh, that it was glowing and I don't think I got into very much detail I wanted him to come outside and come with us to see what had happened and then I think at a later time I told him in more detail just exactly what I had seen and uh, at the time I think I suggested that we call the uh, base police I guess what we AP to attack air police before they became military police but uh, that never went through. My dad just said, no, I don't think we need to. call. Uh, how did he respond to this? I assume that, well, now, uh, let's go back then. He came out. Did you then go back uh, to where this had happened? Well, we went back to where it had happened, but it was very dark. And in fact, we visited the next morning. My dad went out with me again. And uh, so I got up the next morning. I think I was excited the entire night. He got up the next morning and was telling the same story at the dinner table or the breakfast table, excuse me. And, uh, yes, he did come, come out with me that night when we went to the spot, but there was nothing very distinguishable. In the morning, it was easier to see where I had stood on the trail because uh, my tennis shoes had left markings in the dirt. But approximately three feet away, where I remembered the being standing, there was nothing at all. So what was your father's reaction to this story with no... Uh with no evidence to support it. Well, he seemed to remain uh, very calm and listened to me. At the time, my father and I sort of always had a very serious relationship between each other. Sort of things were understood that when one of us said something to the other one, we were being truthful. And uh, I'm sure they can believe how much stock he took in it. <laughs> That's another story. And, uh, I think that they did believe that I was telling what I had seen and was being truthful. Did either your father or mother suggest doing anything about it? No, neither one of them. And I guess not being that aware of UFOs at the time that I saw it, or UFO-related phenomena, I thought of doing nothing myself. Did you tell anyone other than your parents at that time? I suppose that within the next few days, friends of mine in the neighborhood, I related the story to sort of uh, exciting, I guess. It was that prestige one feels from having something unusual happen to me. And uh, I did, in my excitement, tell my close friend. But not very many people. In fact, it's about four or five and no more than that. How did your friends react? My friends, on the whole, I think, sort of, you know, it was that laugh at first, like, oh, you're kidding me. But... Uh, with the way I was telling them, I suppose that they must have realized that I had seen something, no matter what I was describing at the moment. And so they tended to believe me on the whole that I had really seen something. And having Dave also, who was approximately uh, two years older than myself, telling the same thing was a little bit more credible to most of the people. Was there any significant difference between your story and Dave's? In fact, no. And even that night when we told my father, Dave, agreed with everything that I said and made no changes whatsoever in my story. Did anybody uh, have anything positive to uh, contribute to this? Uh, had anyone seen anything 
unusual or heard of anything unusual that might possibly fit in with this? No, not at all. Not that I remember. Maybe the mention of seeing anything similar or anything unusual. Your father was in the Air Force? That's correct. Can you tell me what he did? What kind of um, job he At the time, he was a flight engineer. And his uh, duties there at Oaks Air Force Base, they were flying EC-121s, which are coastal radar planes. And before that, he'd been in strategic air command, but this was a different branch, I'm not sure before. Then he was a career Air Force for 23 years, and finally retired and presidential planes here in Africa. Do you have any reason to uh, think that he might have told anyone? Any Air Force no, associates? No, in fact, I'm, I'm pretty positive that I'm sure they never related the story to anyone. Although, as I grew up, I tend to relate the story to good friends when topics of that nature would come up. Because as I got older, I became more aware of what was going on as far as UFO phenomena. And I think merely because of this incident, I became more interested in little tidbits that I heard and that I've been right about. To what extent were you aware of UFOs prior to this event? Not at all. Absolutely not at all. Because and, they, and because of the event itself, that I did not sight a UFO of any kind. It never even crossed my mind that this could possibly be in any way related to UFOs. Didn't equate the two at all. When did you first see some apparent relationship? I think the first time that I that I realized there might be some sort of relationship at, at all was the uh, incident with the black and white couple. Uh, the interrupted journey. Right, right. When I when that became came out and became very I guess well covered by the media and I read their story and and realized that there might be some some connection. Just because the creature that I had seen was not I, I don't think very similar to the creatures that they described, but that it was so unusual that it had to be somehow otherworldly, I guess, was the thought that came to me. Do you recall any talk about UFOs around Otis in those days? No, no, none at all. I think at that time I was probably too interested in uh, my next grade on the next exam <laughs> and things of that nature. What kind of extracurricular activities were you involved in? Um, era. Pretty much soccer was becoming popular then. I was uh, playing soccer and was a band student also at the time. Involved pretty much with those things that one becomes involved with in uh, elementary school and, and junior high. I just entered junior high before we left there. I was involved in student government, drama classes, and things like that. Yeah. So, what uh, precipitated your uh, find something about this? Well, in fact, I had, had done things prior. Uh, when I was going to college, there was an ad in the Daily Island, which was the campus newspaper, for people who had seen UFOs. And at the time, my roommate was an extremely avid aviation fanatic and uh, also in UFOs also, and I had told him my story, and he prompted me to respond to the ad. And my sort of story was, well, well, Dave, I really didn't see a UFO. But he said, yes, but your story's interesting. So he got me to respond. And, uh, this is not the same day? No, this is not okay. the same day. This is another, my roommate in college. And I responded to the ad, and turned out to be one of two people who responded to the ad, and uh, told my story, and in fact had it printed in the DI, which was the common name for it, the Daily Island. And that was really, really all that I've really done. I was aware of Dr. Heineken at the time, because the, uh, his name came up in the article, his work at the Center for UFO Studies. But when was this? This would have been in 73. 74 academic year at the University of Iowa and Iowa City. But didn't uh, respond in that sense, didn't think of writing a letter to Dr. Heineken. And it was uh, really only my excitement at seeing the previews for Close Encounters of the Third Kind that uh, I sat down at the typewriter at the office one day and, and 
typed out my letter and sent it off. I felt like I wanted this to be a before the fact event, before the movie came out, before I went to see it, <laughs> so that it wouldn't be a second thought. Have you since seen it? No, I haven't seen it. It's nearly reopened, I think, four or five days ago, but I haven't had a chance to get to see it. A little personal background now. You were at Iowa, say. Uh, That's correct. Okay, you came out of there with what? Uh, in fact, I went to Drake University my first year and transferred to the University of Iowa in 73 and graduated in 76 with a Bachelor of Arts in East Asian Languages and Literature, really a concentration in Chinese, Chinese language and studies. And what are you doing in Washington? Uh, right now I'm working as a paralegal for a law firm here. Well, you say uh, your interest in, in UFOs and related matters has increased. Uh, have you run into any other stories that all similar to your experience? While I was in Iowa, there were a series of events, but no one who had really seen anything. We had some strange depressions in soybean and cornfields there in Iowa while I was going to college. And I found it extremely interesting. We had a few cattle mutilations and supposedly some sightings of some bizarre, strange, tall, hairy creatures. But uh, And I found it exciting. In fact, we cut them out of the newspaper and keep them. But never really exchanged a story with anybody there who had seen a UFO or, or a creature. Yeah. Have you subsequently read any accounts of, of creatures that you feel are, are similar to what you've seen? I tend to see things that are, are very similar. I guess in the uh, the book, The Interrupted Journey, and, and the subsequent movie that was made from that, I found some similarities in the shapes of the uh, beings that they described as being sort of smooth-skinned and no hair and things like that. But they, the glowing, I guess, set my the thing that I had seen apart from from the others. And uh, there was always a mention of some sort of space suit or some sort. Of garb of some kind, which I couldn't distinguish really, that, unless it was a single piece thing that was undistinguishable from the body. I just couldn't tell. But they tend to seem along the same lines, I guess, smooth, and uh, their eyes tend to be different. Other than the, the glow, was there anything non-human about individual yourself? I guess the only thing that was, uh, the distinction was the sort of absence of a mouth which is the only thing I guess I really noticed as being odd. And uh, I do remember recalling in uh, the description by Betty and Barney Hill that their beings had very thin lips that they remembered. And I guess it occurred to me as a second thought that perhaps he did have a mouth but no lips. And so therefore it was in the glow, the light, it was indistinguishable from the rest of the things. But I didn't think too much about that. Okay. The only other strange yeah. thing, I suppose, would be the gassy uh, aura that surrounded the body. And uh, I think at a later point, a friend of mine even suggested that perhaps the creature wasn't standing on the ground. That perhaps because of this gassy aura, whatever it was, that it was necessary to be around his body that he wasn't in contact with the ground. But you didn't see any such thing? No, I don't recall at all. Okay, looking back a dozen or so years on this. How do you see it? How do you feel about the experience now? I find it very strange at times. Sometimes I wonder if, uh, because I remember it so vividly, and I do remember it very vividly, if my mind has somehow supplemented the story <laughs> in the meantime. And uh, for a long time, I was very interested in the fact that I recall the event that occurred in Pascagoula, Mississippi, of which I have an aunt and uncle who don't live very far from there. There were two gentlemen who decided a, a UFO and that they had been put under hypnosis. And I was very interested in the fact that perhaps under hypnosis I might recall something entirely different or I might recall it packed in greater detail than I do now. But uh, I don't, you know, other than that, really. Although I, I notice things in the newspapers and keep trying, trying to have read a few books. Their titles I really couldn't recall to, but I think uh, Frenchman Ballet, I think is his name. I've read some since this event. Well, think of anything. And Carl Sagan, I suppose, too. I've since read many things. But other than that, no.
Okay, well, we'll cut it off at this point. All right. So, to put in my input of what I make of it, let's start with Herbert Shermer. Herbert Shermer described your typical alien encounter. He even had the entities as being short and wearing a one-piece suit. Their eyes and face weren't the typical alien gray. I put the description on my Facebook, so you can go up there and see the pictures of them. Now, could this come down to the Turner thesis again? Some form of altered perception on their part. I think that's possible. They were all uniform and looked exactly the same. Another interesting fact is this pen or needle-like thing. That's very common with the abduction scenario. I even threw another picture up by Steve Nile, who does quite a few of his alien abductions in art. Depicting a very similar wand-typed object. We also saw that within the Allagash abductions in our last podcast. We find these common tropes that keep coming up within the alien abduction phenomena. Let's jump to the very last abduction encounter on here. Or what I'm going to coin as an abduction, because it seems to be very apparent. Now he talked about them glowing. Or this being glowing, it being six foot tall. And the only real difference from a human was the slit for a mouth. Now this is commonly found. As well as noted, it's just as common as the big black eyes. He even notes that they had no hair. Now the glowing feature, let's go over that a little bit. I believe that that also could play into this altered perception thing. Now when you tell that to somebody, it's going to sound very odd to them. This could be a way of distracting the person from trying to seem credible, I suppose. In other words, most people aren't going to interpret it that way. And it also could be for masking its appearance. Now, another interesting part that should be noted is he equates them very much so looking just like the Betty and Barney Hill alien abductors, but without the eyes being the same. Now, in regards to the UFO sighting, or the three interviews from the lady, this is very common within the UFO phenomena. Electronics go out, your vehicle will shut down, and things of that nature. Most of these clips are quite long, and I hesitate to think that when somebody calls in to a UFO hotline to report seeing one, they're not just going to waste their time for no reason. Now those are my conclusions. Let me know what you guys think. Alright, with that, I'm going to let you guys go. I want to thank the Ghoulies for Hot Rods from Outer Space. All the credit to the interviews are in my show notes. I want to thank you guys for listening. If you guys want to reach out to me with your experiences, or even just want to get a hold of me, hit me up at theufos at yahoo.com. Hit me up on Facebook or abductionenigma.webador.com. Same thing if you guys have any guest suggestions. Alright, with that I'm going to let you guys go. Keep kicking it.